As a way to segue into the, the word and the preaching time, uh, my wife Libby and I and our, our four kids, we've been attending the Wilmington campus uh, since it started. Uh, I'll be here when I preach or when I lead worship or just random Sundays, but for the most part, our family attends in Wilmington. And Pastor Jeff is doing a great job leading that campus. And I have a little bit of luxury based on what I do for the church that most of my work is during the week. And on Sundays, I'm just kind of a, I'm a utility infielder. That's what I feel like most of the time. And I'm happy to be that. But um, so it's been interesting for our family. And Libby's mom came the other day and she said, I found this comic strip in the paper that it just epitomizes what your family is dealing with right now. And hopefully not too much, but I'll, I'll show it to you. It's classic Peanuts. So you have Charlie Brown and Lucy. So Charlie Brown says to Lucy, and some of you are reading ahead, and right after church next Sunday, we're all going on a picnic. Charlie Brown, you know, he's reaching out to Lucy. I didn't know your family belonged to a church, because that's how she talks. And sure, doesn't yours? Well, they used to. Now they belong to a coffee house. (laughs) And I'm hoping that this is not what my kids say on the playground. Because we do. Right now, we meet in a coffee house for church. And um, if you haven't been there yet, come on down. It's, it's a great time. But we're filling it up each Sunday, and we're, we're looking for new space. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that, that's a little bit how we feel right now. Allow me to pray for us as we come to the Word. Lord, thank you that you are worshipped and praised around the world. And we saw that even in the songs that we lifted up to you today. God, that there's no tongue, no language, no nationality that won't praise you. And many nationalities around our world are lifting up your name in amazing ways. We pray for them. We also pray for our brothers and sisters in Wilmington who are worshiping now in a coffee house. Lord, pray that they would continue to be a light there uh, on behalf of whatever you want them to do there. And Lord, as we open your word, we come to it humbly asking God that you would Uh, Do your work in us. God, thank you for the perfection that your word uh, is and how authoritative it is in our lives and how full and rich, no matter where we look in it, God, the treasure that we find from your word. It builds us up. Thank you for it. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the major prophets. He's, if you find Isaiah, which is a longer book, just go a few ahead of that and you'll find Daniel. But we're beginning a series today called Anticipate Resurrection. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the prophets and seeing what we can see in them that might point us to Christ. And today in Daniel's life, we'll see that very naturally his life is one that points to Christ. As I have walked around the earth in my years, uh, I've come to an observation that feels true in my own life, and I see it in the way other people go through life. And it's this, that we, just in the way we are, we have a resistance to acknowledging that life is spiritual. And I think because of the way we live and our humanity and our sin or just our 
the physical nature of life is always so easy to see uh, that the spiritual aspects of life, the spiritual side of life, that spiritual life is always true, um, is a challenge for us. Now, we have, we have sort of like get-out-of-jail-free cards, okay? At birth, at death, at these pinnacles of life, we welcome in the spiritual. And almost across the board, everyone does this. And, and then we step back and we get into the ordinary space of life. And life is hard, life is physical, life is normal to us. It doesn't always make sense. And it's in those ordinary times that, for me at least, I've stepped back. And even the way I make a decision, I just say, Lord, I'm just making a decision right now. And by faith, I believe that life is spiritual right now. And, and that's why I love having those verses like Hebrews 11, that our faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we cannot see. That's what our faith is. We have this certainty by our faith that allows us to see something that we can't see. And Daniel, the character, for whatever reason, a host of reasons actually, he is a character that is constantly making connections between the physical life and the spiritual life. He does it in amazing ways. He gets kings of the world to see God. And now he was gifted and anointed in this. Um, Daniel was called out from his homeland as a young man, probably maybe in his teens, his early 20s. But he was called into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian empire. And um, King Nebuchadnezzar took the best of what Judah had to offer. He said, give me your best young men. I'll train them in the way of the Chaldeans, and I will make them fit. Um, and yet over and over again, Daniel decided not to defile himself among a people that had idols. He decided he would stay true to his God. And then there's a repetitive theme in the book of Daniel that Daniel just very naturally goes about his worship. And because of it, he's, he's elevated in leadership among some foreign leaders. And just the way he does that is, is so amazing. Um, the book of Daniel, the first six chapters are one story after another about how Daniel heard from God, how he had the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And he had ways to connect the spiritual life with the physical. And we're going to look at one story in Daniel today. And it's, it's a kid's Bible story, really. Daniel and the Lion's Den, yes. It's the stuff that like VeggieTales made a killing on early on. And now I actually was, went through Wikipedia and looked at every VeggieTales title and they started with the Bible and, and they still have biblical episodes. But I mean, this is the kind of story they started with because it's so good. Um, but it's not simply a children's story. It's much more than that. And as we look at the life of Daniel, I want us to keep in mind this ability that he had to connect the physical with the spiritual. Um, as I was preparing, I, I picked up a book in my library, and it's, the cover's a little torn, and it's old. Um, you know how when you pick up an old book, it's just kind of cool. You can kind of smell it. And 
It's terrible. I, I talked to my son. I was like, you know, you have any thoughts in this first sermon? He said, don't smell the book. <laughs> and I forgot till just now. But that was a good, that was a good correction. That was a good correction. Um, but when you pick up an old book, it, it's just, you know, it's not like picking up a Kindle, I, whatever, a Kindle thing that has digital information. But um, this is special to me a little bit because Libby's grandfather grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, which makes him cool to me just right away. I mean, come on, Memphis, Tennessee. And not only that, but he was this really interesting character that loved God, loved the Word of God, and he was just so simple in his expression of life. He'd buy all these books, and he'd handwrite in them. For a dollar, he got this. And so I inherited a few of his books into my library, and this is one of them. And I love what's written in here about the book Daniel. I want to read you this quote because it gets at the heart of how I think we sometimes feel about books like Daniel. They're so grandiose in their expression. And we're like, I can't relate to that, but I believe it. And, um, but here's a, here's a good quote that just captures the book of Daniel. Wonderful things are told in this book. If you find it difficult to believe these things, remember this. For centuries, God had been nurturing a nation for the purpose of establishing in a world of idolatry the belief that there is one true living God, Jehovah. But that nation, the institution that stood for Jehovah, had now been destroyed by the idolatrous nations of the world. If ever there was a critical time in Jehovah's struggle with idolatry, it was now. Strange indeed would it have been had nothing happened to show who is God. And I don't know, that, that's just a great quote. And, and um, it captures the amazing things that we see, see in the book of Daniel. There's apocalyptic writing at the end. There's uh, these amazing narratives in the first six chapters. And as we look at it, I want us to look at the life of Daniel we're going to read through chapter 6. I want to set up the, the feel of what happens in Daniel's life in this common story. But as we look at it, I want us to bring the idea of Christ, the king of kings, the king of every earthly kingdom, bring that idea to the text. And whenever we bring an idea to the text, we have to be really cautious that we don't read into it or overread it. Um, and find meaning that's really not there. But the way that Daniel is given to us and the account that we have, we're not overstating anything by seeing Christ in this storyline. And, and you'll see that at the end. There's, if there's a few things that I mention, there's many more that I don't mention that, that we could simply see as helping us look forward into Christ. Because Daniel was a prophet. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, 
but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The first thing that's established in this story is Daniel's character. It says that he's blameless without fault. There were 120 satraps. Satrap means provincial governor. So there were 120 provincial governors. And then there were three high officials. Daniel was one of the three high officials. And the whole purpose of his role was that nothing would be lost in the kingdom. And he was so good at it that King Darius decided to elevate him to the highest position in the kingdom as far as this role with his men, with these men. So, of course, jealousy, right? Let's attack this guy. They could not find any fault in him. So they said, ah, we'll get him in the way that he is connected with the law and his God. We know we can get him there because we'll we'll see what happens. So they set this trap in verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. These officials set a trap for Daniel, and they set a trap around worship and the worship of his God. And they, they try to get him, and they try to set up King Darius in a way that sort of kind of draws King Darius into the story. And they actually do. I mean, they, they just flat out, I mean, they own it at this point, and you'll see what happens. Well, you probably know what happens, but you might see it in new light here. Um, so they set this trap for Daniel. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a long way off. They're in Babylon at this point still. It's like modern day Iraq, the Tigris and Euphrates River. I mean, that's where he was. He opened his doors, his windows toward Jerusalem. And he prayed. It says he got on, down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Daniel went into his room as usual, prayed three times toward Jerusalem to his God, giving thanks and making petition. We get the sense from the text that Daniel is just going about his normal routine of life. Even though he knows an injunction has been made in the land where he is involved as a leader, that you, for the next 30 days, you are not allowed to worship any other God or man except King Darius. Um, but we don't get the sense that Daniel is running from that or that he's hiding from it. He goes, he opens his windows, and he, not only does he pray, but he does it in the regular way that he always does. And, and I, don't, I don't even get the sense that he's crying out for God for salvation or save me from this terrible circumstance, Lord. We don't know for sure, but at least in the text we know he's, this is what he normally does. And the other leaders, they think they have him. And they confirm with, oh, King Darius, remember this deal we set up? We're not changing it. Okay. Yep. It's, it stands firm. It's still in place. Oh, by the way, King Darius, remember that exile we brought in from Judah? The interesting thing with that is Daniel is likely toward the end of his life at this point. I mean, if, if you do the, the charts and the tables, he's in his 70s or 80s or even maybe a little bit older. Because in his 20s, he was under King Nebuchadnezzar. And then as he grew, he saw Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom rise up and fall. Nebuchadnezzar went insane and then cried on the name of God. And then Belshazzar came in. And the handwriting on the wall, Daniel interpreted it. That very night, Belshazzar put a purple robe on Daniel and said, you're going to be the highest in my kingdom, or the third highest, I think. And, and that very night, King Darius came in and took the kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, um, from the Babylonians. And now it was the Medes and the Persians. And now he's getting his land in order. And Daniel rises up under at least the third king that we know of. Um, the highest leader among the people is Daniel. And, you know, he could have easily, you know, played his cards right and kind of discreetly worshipped in his heart of hearts, in the spiritual um, but he wasn't afraid to let it be a physical representation of who he was. Um, and you might expect that, that Darius would be furious at this point, but we see the opposite. Verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Around this trial, we can even think of of the way that Christ was brought to trial. He was blameless, and yet he was brought before this judgment. And Darius, it says that he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Maybe somewhat similar to the way Pilate offered Jesus to the people to be released. But what we can say is that Darius, though the most powerful king probably in the world at this point, or at least in this section of the world, 
he did not have the power to save Daniel from death, certain death. Think about that. The king right in front of him is one of his greatest leaders who happens also to be faithful to his God. Darius doesn't accuse him of, okay, well, now you've worshiped your God. Throw him in. He, He tries to rescue him. It's really an interesting turn. And he can't. That's the more surprising thing. In verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, this was like certain death that Daniel was being cast into. But for whatever reason, Darius says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And it, I mean, he was saying goodbye to Daniel. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. This is representative of death. The lion's are death in the story. And the stone that's sealed is, this is akin to a tomb. It's like a tomb for Daniel. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Sleep fled from him. And Daniel was in the den of lions. That was the verdict. That was the judgment on Daniel. And then we see something that is amazing in verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and we went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is a a resurrection story where certain death was to be. uh, Life sprung forth and Daniel came out of the den. It's funny that at least in the account that we were given of this, this Daniel and the lion's den story, this is the first time that Daniel speaks up on his behalf and he goes through his trial, his um, judgment silently and, and to what should have been sure execution, sure death. And yet he lives. And it's here that we see a clear picture of the way God is working in Daniel's life. When I first got to this point in where I was, I, I wondered, I wondered honestly if Daniel was, was not perfect, but I started to ask that question. Like, in the sense that, well, where, where do we have evidence that, that Daniel was sinful or made a mistake? 
There are not many, partially because we don't have that much of a storyline around Daniel's life. We have this book, and then Ezekiel mentions them. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel, who was his counterpart, was talking about how um, Jerusalem had, had turned their back on God. And he says, through the, through the Lord, the prophet Ezekiel says, that even if Daniel, Job, and Noah were in the city, they could not even save their sons and daughters. They would only save themselves by their own righteousness. That's what it says. But even Daniel, in his righteous life, um, I'll say two things. First, he was, we know that he was a sinner. I found in Daniel 9, he was saying this prayer. I'm, I'm so thankful he included this. Daniel chapter 9, he says, verse 20, when I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my plea before the Lord, the God for the holy hill of my God. That's a specific example where we see that Daniel had a need to confess his sin. But the other thing I'll say with that is even in all of Daniel's righteousness, at best he could save himself. And we know that that's not even true, that he needs the Lord. And you'll see that if you read, you should read the rest of this book if you, if you haven't in a while. There's many examples of, of Daniel's need for the Lord. But look at verse 24. This is after Daniel's back and verse 24. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast in the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. VeggieTales struggles with this verse, <laughs> but they actually do address it, you know, in a way that a child can still watch. But um, what this shows is there's judgment for evil in the world and that rejection of God and his everlasting kingdom will receive judgment and will receive the grave and death. But I love what happens at the end of this story. King Darius, um, biggest king on earth. Look what he says. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. I mean, who else can address the whole world? He addresses the whole world. He does. (laughs) And he says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Through 
Daniel's way and the way the Spirit worked through him, he was able to help an earthly, idolatrous king recognize the, the one true God. And so it should come at no surprise that the, in chapter 7 begins the apocalyptic writings. And Daniel actually goes back into his storyline and starts to share these visions and dreams that he has. But look at, if we think about this story, and as we reflect on it through the cross of Christ and through the resurrection of Jesus, the connections are, are really profound. In chapter 7, Daniel gets a dream. He sees four earthly kingdoms, and it's very dynamic what he sees. But in verse 9, in, still in his dream and vision, he says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Daniel got to see Christ. And we know this just by reading on in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel in 600 BC or whenever it was, is, is very spiritually has been able to see Christ in his future glory and his future leadership as the king of kings, the one everlasting kingdom that, that belongs to Christ. But verse 15 is helpful for me, and it's a good place to end this story. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Yeah, he, he needed an interpretation at this point, and he asked for one. And in two verses, the whole thing is, is explained in verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Verse 28, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. And my color changed, and I kept the matter in my heart. As we look at the Lord's table, I want to invite you to see the resurrection as something refreshing in your life that brings the spiritual life. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reversal of death. It's reversing a physical act to infuse the spiritual realities that there's one true God, his name is Jesus Christ, and he will be worshiped forever and ever and ever. Every knee will bow, Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So I want to invite you to, just this Easter, think about the cross as a refreshing way that 
connects your physical life with your spiritual life. In Romans 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm going to invite the worship team forward at this point. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as they're coming, I'll explain what we'll do. The Lord's Supper is um, something that the church gathers around to remember the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Lord instituted this through the Passover meal with his disciples. And whenever we come to this table, we remember the Lord's death and his resurrection and his future return. This table is for the church. It's for the believers in Christ who identify themselves as followers of God and followers of Jesus. It's, it's not for those that are lost or that are confused or that are unsure about their standing with the Lord. So I encourage you just in that way, this is a meal that we celebrate and we share together. But if you are not confident in your faith in Jesus, then I would encourage you to, to let the, the bread and the cup pass. Or even if there's sin in your life that, that needs to be dealt with, um, use your own discernment and your own judgment in your heart of hearts about celebrating this meal. This is a meal that we do gather around to celebrate what the Lord has done in our lives. So there, the invitation is a strong extension to be part of this. This is what the church is as we remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, allow me to pray for us. Father, as we come to you, Lord, we come to you in constant need and reminder that our lives are spiritual. Lord, and we lift up your name, the perfect name, and the perfect name of your son Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith and our salvation, who spent time in death and yet rose to life and now gives us life abundantly in the spirit. Lord, I pray for each one here, God. Give us discernment as we come to you for everything that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.